Hey guys, welcome back. Sorry for the delay. Uh, when you start a podcast, you probably shouldn't have two people who work in startups do it together. Uh, turns out there's a lot of uh, conflicting schedules. So Jeff, how you doing? Pretty good. I'm excited to be back. Me too, man. Let's get into it. So we have three topics today. Um, the first one is that we're going to be talking about is Bloomberg and Deval Patrick entering the 2020 race. Uh, the next one is going to be Twitter removing political ads and Facebook keeping them and kind of like the Dorsey versus Zuckerberg saga. Uh, and lastly, uh, obviously, we're going to be talking about it is the impeachment hearing. So first things first, uh, let's go to Bloomberg and Deval Patrick entering the race very late. Uh, there were rumors. I actually didn't think that was they were either of them were going to enter. And as far as I'm concerned, they can't participate in the Iowa caucus. Um, and Bloomberg, I know has been, Bloomberg had been talking about running for a while. Deval Patrick was, everyone was kind of floating his name even in 2016. Uh, but I, he kept it very quiet that they were even exploring. Jeff, what was kind of your take about them entering the race? Well, I have, I have a take, but you're, you're like the, the hardcore Democrat. So I kind of want to hear what, what your take is. So <laughs> I, 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 when initially when Bloomberg entered the race, I like rolled my eyes. Like Bloomberg is probably on the wrong side of 77. He'll be 78 in February. I just looked that up. He has a controversial history with race relations in a time when a lot of these issues are coming to the fourth. He also represents a class of people, billionaires, who aren't very popular right now. Uh, the only reason he's able to enter the race this late is because of his money. I mean, he could stick around till the end of the race, drop a billion dollars and be, you know, 2% less wealthy. So I have a real problem with the idea that he can just purchase his way into the race. I also, the stop and frisk thing, I, he came out finally and apologized for, but I, that's a big civil liberties issue. It's a racial issue. There's, he, and from an economic policy standpoint, I think we do need some huge fundamental changes. Right now, there's just the wealth disparity in this country is reaching like the Gilded Age era. And he doesn't seem to be someone who is focused at all on changing economic policies from it, from a fundamental standpoint. However, I really like his policies, environmentalism, gun control, obviously, uh, he, he, gay rights, he's socially and socially he's, he's fantastic. I just don't think it's the right time for him, but I, I'm also conflicted because like he, he is such an effective bureaucrat um, from the way he ran New York city to the way he's run his businesses. Uh, so I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I, do, I don't like him, <laughs> but I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm less angry about it than I initially was. And what about Patrick? Well, Patrick, I just don't really totally understand him entering the race. I, I just don't. Um, Bloomberg, I get because I think Biden's going to be eventually dropping out um, or, or just losing steam as like he kind of already is. Uh, so Bloomberg, I think, kind of takes Biden a bit more, although Biden's kind of underrated for how left he is. Uh, so I think Bloomberg's going to be taking that. Deval Patrick just seems like, I think because I'm from Massachusetts, Deval Patrick's name ID is much bigger, obviously around here. But I, like, I don't think people in California, people in Iowa, people. I, Deval Patrick isn't like a necessarily an incredibly well-known candidate. I don't totally understand why he's running. He's a younger guy. He could run in 2024, 2028. Uh, so I, I, I don't get it. Uh, he, it's also interesting because he, like, Charlie Baker's a better governor than him. So <laughs> if they're like Deval Patrick, one, one, I believe he works at like McKinsey 
or no, he works at Goldman Sachs now, I think. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, so not a great place to be coming from. There's going to be a lot of controversy surrounding that. He also is the guy after him in his position, in which he got a claim is, is better at his job. So I don't get why Deval Patrick's running. It makes no sense to me. Got it. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, I, I, I think I agree in a lot of ways and in other ways I probably see it a little bit differently. So my gut reaction I think was similar to yours. Like my gut reaction is why are there more people entering the fray? It's been like a, the laughing stock has been that there's like, you know, there were like 25 candidates and one of them was Marianne Williamson. Right. Yeah. Um, who, so, who by the way should have just stayed. She was like the best TV ever when she said she was going to call New Zealand. That first oh, yeah. action was the best. No, she's fantastic. I mean, there, you know, I'll, 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 I'll kidding aside, there, there were like little moments of gold where she actually said some like some good stuff. Yeah. Um, but still, like it, you know, she became a meme really fast, and yes. and I think anything just kind of showed like, I think I think a lot of people were thinking, man, we got Trump elected, and we didn't figure out over the last four years like who we're gonna, who who we're going to rally behind, and I and I think it would it's be I think it's something that we're all self-conscious about and even the candidates on stage are being very careful not to knock each other too badly because they're also concerned about beating Trump. But at the same time, we can't align around a single candidate. We feel like we probably should have figured this out by now. And I think you and I, Dave, you know, we might not agree on everything politically. Uh, yeah, but you know, one thing we probably agree on is we're, we're both not, you know, big Trump people, right. And we're not Trump supporters, um, and, and probably dislike Trump. Right. So, you know, what, the way that I'm looking at it is just from the perspective of what's it going to take to beat Trump. And so my gut, my gut reaction was, man, this is just making matters worse. But then when I thought about it a little bit, little bit more, peeled the onion back, I thought, actually, maybe this is a good thing. And the reason why isn't even necessarily because these candidates are entering the fray, but because a candidate may enter the fray. So I'll explain kind of what I mean by that. Um, I think if you look at the data right now, it's concerning from a Democrat perspective. So in terms of replacing Trump, uh, it's concerning that it doesn't seem like there's a candidate who clearly beats him anywhere. And keep in mind, it, it felt like Hillary was going to clearly beat him in the election, the last election, and then that didn't happen, which goes to show that there's probably more people out there who are ashamed to say they support Trump. That, you know, so I guess what I'm trying to, what I'm, what I'm, where I'm going with this is that the data does not look very good right now. And I don't think it's a bad thing to be looking at the data, realizing that we need to fix something and searching for it. So, you know, in the case of Bloomberg, while I agree with you, he is a unique candidate. And for the same reasons that I think you don't like, um, are reasons that could make him compelling, that he does have the resources to basically pull himself across the finish line. And you and I might not like that, but it's, we, I think you and I would both agree it's better than Trump, right? So um, he also is a, uh, a businessman. Uh, one of the reasons that Trump got elected is that a lot of people, whether they were right or wrong, felt that he was a successful businessman and that he was not an establishment candidate. Someone like Bloomberg, you know, could, could conceivably kind of match that argument while saying I'm also not, you know, as terrible a human being, right? I, I have the moral fabric that can bring this country back together. Um, but even if it weren't one of these two, just the idea that somebody could enter the race this late and potentially have some success, it makes you wonder, like, and this is like a completely hypothetical situation. And I, I don't know that this would actually happen, but like if Oprah entered the race in a month, right, and people I- suddenly... That would that would change the game. Yeah, it would be it would be it would be wild, right? But it would be good. It would be good, right? Like I think I think there are times where like so the gut reaction is like we don't want more people, but if the people that are in it are not pulling away and and getting momentum, because there's clearly a chasm on the left between like people like Ocasio Cortez and her supporters and people like Joe Biden, right? Um, so if none of these people are pulling away within their ranks and you had somebody who could actually unite that base and reach across the aisle, someone like Oprah who could do that, I mean, that would be kind of exciting, right? Yeah, it, it would be I, like it. Yes. Uh, it, it, yeah, it would be, I, you know, with like, with the, with the, all the people that are running in the democratic party, like I, I, you know, 90% of people probably couldn't even name, you know, five, five people running. Um, with with 
Yes. Like my favorite part about Bloomberg running is if like if he did go up against Trump, like the fact that he is so much more wealthy, wealthier than Trump, just so much more and so much more successful would be amazing. Bloomberg, but Bloomberg does have like a bunch of his issues that will come to light. Like, yeah, I think he had a couple like me, me too type-ish things um, with people. Like I, I know he's made like some, just some really inappropriate comments. Uh, granted, it was like in the 80s. So like not to recontextualize, but like was, it was a long time ago. Um, and he apologized, uh, I think, after the allegations came out. But whatever. The, um, the, when you talked about the, uh, the, I, I think you're, when you were talking about like the, the democratic candidates currently not having a lot of, like not doing well against Trump, uh, you're talking about like that one poll that showed him and like that showed them in battleground states against Trump, right? And, like, I believe so. Yeah. I, I wonder how much that is. And I, like, I was listening to the 538 podcast and it, when it's so early like this too, like you, the candidates haven't had a chance to necessarily make their case for things. So like everyone, the things people know about Elizabeth Warren are the attack she gets from the right, which is, you know, she's gonna, she's crazy. She's a fake native American and she's going to raise taxes and everyone like crazy, which obviously isn't the case. So I, I don't take those polls that seriously this early on. Uh, because of all those factors. However, yeah, I, I, I guess, ha- I, I don't think having too many people in the race is a bad thing. I think you need to limit the people on stage, but people who enter the race late, it's, it doesn't bother me to have more people on the stage. It just, it just, defy i just don't understand why you come in this late. that's that's my bigger that's my bigger thing i well i think the reason is because they they're viewing an opportunity i think they're uninspired by what they're seeing and they're saying i think i can i think i can get the job done i don't have the confidence that others will get the job done and whether or not you like joe biden i think that's why he's in the race too yeah i think he feels like he has a personal um like almost like a martyr complex. Like he needs to take one for the team to beat Trump. He thinks he's the best candidate. Clearly Trump thinks so too, based on all the Ukraine stuff, which we're going to talk about later. But I mean, look, my, my two favorite candidates from the jump have been Pete Buttigieg and Andrew Yang, um, who at the beginning had 0% chance of winning, let alone getting this far. And I, I honestly haven't even really been paying attention, but apparently Buttigieg is one of the major front runners now. No, I mean, number one not, in the Iowa polls. Number one in the Iowa polls. Um, yep. He might not be the front runner right now, but based on the, where he came from and the momentum he's getting. And then Andrew Yang, who was polling at like 0% and is now like people are listening to what he has to say. I, I like what he has to say. Um, I don't think you can ever really rule people out. I think it kind of goes to show that there are people who can come out of nowhere and get it done. I mean, Barack Obama, Barack Obama is like the walking testimonial to this. He really emerged um, and quickly gained that momentum. So for me, I guess it's kind of like, it's almost like spray and pray. I know it's probably not the wisest approach, but you're kind of like trying to w- see who can strike fire and, and, and uh, who's going to really resonate with people. I don't think it's happening. Maybe this is my bias because I really, you know, I'm not really a progressive um, and I really don't like a lot of the kind of progressive stuff personally. So maybe I have a bias against people like Warren and Sanders, but I don't think that they're catching on um, along, uh, you know, the moderate Democrat side, I suppose. And I think that, you know, if we can find somebody who can really unite kind of that progressive side with the moderate side together, um, you know, I think, I think, you know, I think that's what, what we really need. Um, but I guess we'll see. You know that it's, and this is this comes across in a lot of the polls that I'll, I'll like see from five thirty eight is that you'll have the political class like the people who kind of push Bloomberg and Deval Patrick into entering the race, but the voters actually really I think it was like eighty ish percent of voters in the Democratic Party actually really like their options, um, and I, you kind of touched on it like even a guy like Andrew Yang who. It probably has gotten farther than I think most people anticipated in terms of polling. 
like really interesting voice. You've got like Buttigieg, who the mayor of the fifth largest city in Indiana is suddenly a front runner. He's what, like 38 years old or something? Or 34. He's incredibly young. Super um, smart. Super smart. Speaks like 30 languages. Uh, he, I think he learned I think Icelandic I, or something. And there's like, he, just, I think he speaks like the Star Wars languages. Yeah, too. He does. Yeah, he does. He, he is, he is, uh, there's in the, like every time you like Google South Bend and Pete Buttigieg story, it's just like these fantastic, it's like superhero like stories. Uh, unbelievably savvy politician. He's kind of, he's started from being a really more, uh, liberal progressive candidate in the beginning and is trying to take that Biden lane. Uh, so I, I think the options are really good. I just didn't, I, I didn't entirely think it was necessary to add people. And I think the idea that people don't like their candidates isn't entirely accurate. Uh, sure. I, sure. I guess, I guess maybe that's not the right way to put it, but I think where I'm going with it is that I, I kind of would have thought based on Trump winning the election that, Democrats, like us as Democrats, we would have found some, we would have kind of been thinking about this for the last few years and found somebody who was like our clear cut favorite and that we were going to rally around that person. It just hasn't happened. And so I guess I'm not opposed to trying to light some matches or try, you know, seeing which ones really catch fire. I agree with you. Deval Patrick is kind of a weird one. I do think that the thing he has going for him is that he's like, you know, he's reminiscent of this like pre Trump Trump era um, he has, you know, I think a pretty solid following, but yeah, I, he's, he's unlikely to, to do much. I do think Bloomberg is worth keeping an eye on just because he's like a unique candidate. Not, I'm not saying I necessarily support him, but I think yep. he's unique and like, it's interesting to see if that can make, if that can move the needle or not. What I'm most interested in, I think what you and I agree on is that we would not be opposed to seeing somebody enter someone like an Oprah or somebody that could like really shake things up. Um, and, uh, I, again, I think that's a testament to the fact that we don't, you and I, maybe you feel this way less than I do, but, um, are not a hundred percent certain that Democrats are going to win the next election with the candidates that are out there right now. It's, it's nothing against the candidates. It's just more about, um, finding one that's going to get elected. Um, and, and by elected, you mean going to appeal to Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Arizona, and exactly. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, I think it's not obviously right now we're just focused on the, the primaries and, you know, kind of whittle, like whittling that part down, but when push yeah. comes to shove, it's going to, it's going to be those places that matter too. Yeah. I, I will also say when you, uh, when you mentioned people not liking uh, like the Warren and Sanders, uh, like it, in 2016, it was so interesting what happened with Sanders where he came in pretty low name ID People thought he was wacky, crazy, but on an issue by issue basis, people actually really came around on a lot of things he was talking about. And a lot of most Americans actually agree on a lot of the issues he's pushing. Just when you put them all together, you can label the guy as wacky. Oh, sure. I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know that I necessarily think he's completely wacky. I mean, and I, and I do think he has a big following. Both of them do, honestly. And I think it stands to reason that whichever one drops out at some point that their followers will go to the other one, which is a big thing that's probably being, you know, understated in all of this. Um, So I do think they have a big, they they do have a big following, but um, the question is, and and I don't know, I don't profess to know the answers, but the question is whether they can unite the party a and then B can they reach across the aisle to get the votes that are needed to get it done. In the case of Sanders, it's actually possible. I think it's actually more possible. Um, It's interesting because the, the extremes tend to be more alike, um, than anyone in the middle. So for example, someone like Sanders, who's very like veteran friendly, um, like a lot of, you know, he, he's like always been a big supporter of the VA. Um, a lot of, uh, you know, Trump supporters, uh, conservatives traditionally are former uh, military members. Obviously I'm, I'm generalizing. It's, you know, not like every single person, but it's, you know, probably a majority them to be uh, conservatives. Mm-hmm. Um, so there, I actually have friends who are like diehard conservatives who liked Bernie Sanders. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I'm not, uh, I want to, you know, I, I don't uh, feel that it's necessarily uh, crazy. The question is, are they, are they going to get it done? I don't know right now. I don't think so, but um, you, you're right. It's early. So things can certainly change. 
All right, cool. Let's move on to the next one. So next one, I feel like we, we, we're probably always going to have some type of like Facebook just a uh, topic. Every week. So uh, the battle of the Titans, uh, Jack Dorsey versus Mark Zuckerberg. So Twitter yep. removing political ads and Facebook keeping them. Uh, re- I, as, as a big free speech guy and it, uh, also like someone very savvy about technology and social media, really interested to hear what you have to say about this. Yeah. Um, I guess I kind of see both sides. I'll tell you, I don't know if I have like a hard and fast take. Um, so like my initial reaction, and this might sound like a little wild or like a hot take, but most advertisements are embellishing the truth, right? I mean, like literally the, you know, you look at advertising on the internet, on Facebook, on Twitter, on your television, these like these weight loss programs, there's, um, you know, you buy one, get one free, which is pretty much a lie. I mean, like, you know, there's all these different things, ways that people contextualize different messages to try to get across to their audience. And what's, what's, what the thing is that's challenging is it's hard to, it's hard to be the arbiter of what's accurate and what's not like, even in a political setting, like if you watch a debate, you'll see one candidate attack somebody for something they did. And then the other candidates like that didn't happen. It actually went like this. And if you're sitting there, like both of them could be right, even though they're disagreeing with each other, it's just the way that they're framing the issue. And so like if they were to bundle it into an advertisement, it's like, well, who's the arbiter of like, who's the arbiter of what's right and wrong in that advertisement? Is it the person who framed it this way or the person who framed it, another way. And I think, I think it, it, it's a very messy, I think it's a very messy place to be. Um, as a free speech guy, I think a hard ban seems silly and doesn't really cut to the root of the issue. So if I'm Twitter, just banning uh, these political advertisements, I feel like is stupid. Um, now, like I said, in our first chat, I'm all for whatever they want to do. Cause these are private, you know, these are, uh, uh, these are platforms that can, decide what to do. They're not like government run entities or anything like that. So these are companies that can make their own decisions for themselves. Um, But if I'm just banning something that generally doesn't go well, if you ban drugs, there's a black market for drugs. If you ban, um, if, if I, if I have a rowdy, you know, child and I never allow him or her to go out and, you know, meet with their friends, then what happens is they go to college and they rebel, right? Like when you ban things, it's not, you're not really like solving the root of the problem. The root of the problem here isn't that political advertising is bad. The root of the problem is that we don't want foreign countries manipulating people uh, with their advertisements, right? So um, it seems to me like this is not the wisest approach. And I think there's an answer somewhere between what Twitter does and what Facebook does. but what would you say Facebook is doing? Because I, I don't see what anything that Facebook's doing. Well, that's the point, is that Facebook's doing nothing, but Twitter is doing like a hard and fast ban. And I feel like both of those solutions don't work. So, but, but Facebook doing nothing would, by allowing, by allowing people to continue to spread political ads, like it almost seems like they are taking an action. Well... I, I, I don't know. It depends on what the status quo was, right? If the status quo was that you could have advertisements or political advertisements on Facebook, I, I, I don't know that it really, I feel, I feel like it doesn't really um, matter at the end of the day. I mean, like, like, like if you think about, like, if you look at Twitter, they're banning this stuff. So like, because they're taking such a hard and fast stance and not trying to create any nuance in their approach, they're actually, there's like a ripple effect. So for example, there's a lot of social advocacy programs that can no longer advertise on Twitter. Um, They're pretty heavily impacted by this, even if uh, they wanted to micro-target areas for issues, like if there's a water crisis somewhere and they wanted to micro-target an area on Twitter, uh, you know, for something about resources to help people, like that's actually being blocked right now. It's very difficult. You can't like micro-target geographies right now for social advocacy programs because they're just taking this all or nothing approach. And like, I feel like there's a better answer that lies somewhere in between. The root of the issue isn't that political advertisements are bad. In fact, I think we would all agree political advertisements are good uh, at their core of what they're supposed to be. 
The issue is the abuse of what people are saying and who is saying it and who's really behind it. Um, I feel like these companies, uh, maybe I'm naive, but they should have the technology to understand where the IPs are coming from to create these ads, first and foremost. Um, they should be able to make some change. I think Facebook actually, to their credit, is starting to like raise the number of targeted individuals and ads so that you can't micro target like specific people so that it's like a broader audience that sees things and there's a little more accountability behind it. Like that's a step in the right direction. Like, like measures like that, that don't completely ban it, but are actually trying to be responsible about curating the message and where it's coming from. Um, to me feels like a better approach than just saying carte blanche, we're disallowing it entirely, or we're just allowing it entirely and just don't care what happens. But, but by, but when you say banning, so this is, this is kind of where I, I differ a bit with you. So when you say, well, what few things, one is, uh, when you say banning, Twitter's not banning uh, political posts. They're just banning the amplification and spreading of those posts. So they're banning the advertising. They're removing the ability to advertise, which is to spread it to people who didn't necessarily want to follow the information. Yeah, like a pinned, like a pinned, uh, like sponsored uh, ad on your Twitter feed, basically. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the, the other thing is, I mean, this has nothing to do with false information. Uh, it is more to do with they just don't want to spread uh, political political uh, political speech on Twitter, which I I, I agree with. Um, but when when you said that there's no like it's very difficult to uh, it's very very difficult to monitor what's what's true and false with political ads, like I, that's true. But like we have standards and practices for a lot of different things, and it may be difficult. But like when when Trump has, you know, uh, shows, uh, says like, look at the Mexican border wall. And it's a, it's the, it, the video he shows is from like the Syrian, uh, Syrian refugees escaping. That's clearly false. And that almost obnoxiously not true. That seems right. like very easy to, to monitor. Um, but I guess Dave, like, my question for you is, and, and again, like maybe I'm, maybe I'm just, uh, <laughs> just a little different in how I feel about this for me. I don't know. But like at the end of the day, don't we all have a personal responsibility to understand fact from fiction? Like if I see an ad on TV that says McDonald's is now healthy because they have a Beyond Burger or whatever, like Burger King, they have a Beyond Burger. Um, and it's like, it's healthy now. Um, like, don't I have a personal responsibility to still Google what, what they mean by that? Because there's, it's still sitting between two pieces of bread and mayonnaise and like all sorts of other crap. I guess that's my point. It's like, why is political advertising somehow different than other advertising in terms of like a human being's personal responsibility to separate fact from fiction? You're, you're allowed to buy I could buy an ad that says that like I, I could, if I had enough money, I could buy a Super Bowl ad saying that I did, you know, but, X, Y, and Z things and like no one would care. Yeah, no, no, wait, money, but. Yes, yes, they do. Uh, uh, companies get, you can't have false and misleading advertising with companies. Companies can get fined for that. There's like standards and practices for that. Right. So maybe not something that's um, egregious, but like the point, like the point is like, it's subjective. Some things can be subjective to people, right? So if like, if like Burger King advertises that they have this healthy sandwich, like what does healthy mean? Is it just it's healthier than the a thousand calorie sandwich that they had before? Or is it just because it's plant based? Um, you know what I mean? Like beauty is kind of in the eye of the beholder. And I just feel like advertising um, is generally used to try to beautify whatever product is being sold as much as possible. Yes, but there's a difference between beautiful, like there's a there's a difference between being a difference between like massaging the edges and making it appear more beautiful, and then just completely misleading people. And I think that's kind of where we are. And like you mentioned, like people have a personal responsibility to back up and look at other pieces of information. Very few people do that, and we limit things that are personal responsibilities all the time. Like we also have a personal responsibility not to drink and drive. Unfortunately, people don't follow that. Like that's why we we have laws regulating that. Uh, 
most people do not like look up and Google to make sure that something is like fact or fiction. And, and you're seeing that with Trump. Like if you, if you, if you listen, we'll get to the impeachment hearings in a second. Like if you listen to all the conspiracy theories that are getting floated that are just clearly, clearly, clearly false that people believe, like this is incredibly destructive to democracy for people to just continually believe these uh, conspiracy theories. Uh, and I think we have more of a responsibility as a society to uh, help people find the truth. And one of those things is to to try to limit the spreading of uh, false information. And like, I don't, Twitter banning political ads while it, like, just like you said, like it is, it doesn't get to the root cause of the problem, but at least it's a, like a small step in the right direction. And yes, like a lot of things will go to TV, but at least TV is monitored by the, like the FCC. Um, and there's still, yeah. there's, go ahead. No, go ahead. Finish your point. Oh, there. And, and I was going to say there, we, 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 for some reason, we, you know, we, we, you know, you'll have like Fox News would even take down misleading advertisements from Trump. So we still have some standards on TV that we don't have on social media. Yeah. So, no, I agree. Like, look, I think that there, um, there, I think you make some valid points. I think, I think where I struggle is just in, in two places. First and foremost, it becomes this issue of like, who is the arbiter of uh, what is fact and what is fiction? Because people can interpret things in different ways. I agree with you that there are things like the example you gave with the, the border wall and like the picture actually being in Syria, that's objectively false, right? So I agree that there is a difference. What I'm referring to is more uh, situations that are a little less black and white. And, and how do you regulate those? Because Elizabeth Warren is going to have a completely different view of a, of a purported fact than Donald Trump on many issues. And so will their respective followers. And the middle ground might actually be somewhere realistically touching both sides. Um, and I guess the second, the second point that I would have, or the second question, really, it's not a point, not like we're arguing, but the second question I would have for you is, like, how do you sustainably regulate this process? Um, there was a pretty good um, uh, play that I saw like a year ago, I think, the one, there's, uh, here in New York City. It's called The Lifespan of a Fact. Um, it was with uh, Harry Potter. Daniel Radcliffe was there. <laughs> it's basically, he's like, a, he's like a fact checker at the New York Times. And he's like fact checking this article. And this guy writes an article. And basically, there's like 90 inaccuracies in the article. Or like some, some like ridiculous number. And it's, a, it's pretty good. Like if, if you read up a little bit about it, like obviously I can't summarize like a Broadway play in like 10 seconds. But the idea is that there's so many different uh, visualizations of the truth and things that are like um, largely true, but not a hundred percent true. You know what I mean? And I, I, and it just comes down to like, this guy's job is to fact check this article, but it's like, he spends days with this guy and they all, they're like at each other's throats about what's fact and what's fiction. I think it raises some good questions about, um, about this issue and how is it sustainable? Do you have a human being doing, doing this? Do so you think it's like artificial intelligence Maybe, you know, maybe that's the answer because we're so close to having that. Um, that, that would be my second question, I guess. I, I, I uh, <laughs> this is, uh, this is like very Roger, Roger Ailesian, uh, to say that like, there's no such thing as, uh, you know, truth and fact is opinion. We, we've always had ways. It, it's very difficult to, and like, sometimes it is a little murky and sometimes you're like, well, like context matters and technically these are both sort of true but there i think we can we can try to approach like a clear line of uh of figuring out like what is what is true and, and what's not i i refuse to say that it's it's a, simply a matter of opinion uh and we have nonpartisan groups out there who like have standards and practices like the congressional budget office is you know seen as like independent analysis and has practices where you know, they make sure what they put out is, is fact. Like we have ways of monitoring this right now. We're just simply doing nothing. And I think what Facebook could do is they don't have to monitor it. They don't have to monitor, uh, 
you get rid of the 50% of things or 60% of things, whatever it is, that's just complete bullshit. That's obviously bullshit. Like right. that would be really easy to monitor. Uh, the other things I think you, you let fly, but it's see, no taking. I think taking some action would be very easy. And if you actually do care about democracy and you do care about like free speech, then, then you do want to monitor this because this, this is horrible for the country, what they're doing right now. Well, I certainly agree that the, like a lot of the stuff that happened in the last election was, was pretty detrimental. Uh, we'll certainly agree about that. My, my thing is more, I agree with you that facts are facts, but I think where we're maybe misaligned is that there are different ways that people represent events that can be like partially true or could be like missing context. So um, you could like get away with it, so to speak. You know what I mean? Like it could technically be true, but it's really not. Um, like situations like that. And it's like, again, when you see folks who are debating on a stage, it's no different. Like they'll attack a candidate for this and then the candidate will be like, well, no, that's, that's a lie. And it's like, well, who's right and who's wrong? You know, like the, they could both kind of be right about it. Um, so those are the ones that I'm more concerned with. I, would, I, I guess what I, want, what I don't want to see is a slippery slope um, where, yeah, we eliminate the stuff that is kind of objectively bad, but then we start getting into this like murkier area where it's unclear. Um, and that's, that's the, for me, that is the issue that would need to be addressed before any real action could be, be taken. I we're, we're, I mean, right now we're kind of on the slippery slope of the opposite direction where we're doing nothing. So we're just letting every single piece of speech, uh, live and be promoted and spread. And you have just complete false information, conspiracy theories, rampant throughout the I mean if you look at Facebook's top trending stories it's usually a lot of like Ben Shapiro and uh like Breitbart news stories well what's so what's so bad about that oh a lot of those are completely false well I think that's you know I think that I think that that you know somebody who disagrees with you would say the same thing about like the Huffington Post and Salon you know I I I I don't I sure they might but they're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly the point. No, it's not. I mean, I, I, no, it's not. If you look at if you look at the story on Breitbart, you think Bre you think Breitbart is as uh you think Breitbart and Huffington Post are on the same scale? I think they're both terrible, yes. I I don't per personally I, I, I do. I so I I I'm not a, like a huge Huffington Post guy, but they're the Huffington Post stories are on some basis of fact. Breitbart stories are just completely there. It's a, right now. It's a mouthpiece for the Steve Bannon's the the editor in chief of Breitbart. Right. Maybe maybe not Huffington Post, but I think like Vox and Salon. And oh others no, are like Jeff. No. Well, I'm glad we brought up this topic because we really disagree. Yeah, Vox. Yeah, they felt they've come out with a bunch of stuff over the, over the last few years that that I'm like this is just complete BS. But um, look, at the end of the day, I, I guess it doesn't really, you and I are going to disagree about this part, but yeah. um, my, my, my answer here is like, I think, I think that the answer is somewhere in the middle. I don't think, I, I think banning things doesn't work in general. It's a bad, it's a bad way to fix things. When you, when you just outright ban something, it's kind of, it removes nuance from the situation and uh, creates a ripple effect in a number of areas, uh, like I mentioned, with like social advocacy and things like that. Um, I, on the other end of the spectrum, I agree with you, Dave, that Facebook is being fast and loose and reckless um, and should be doing more. Um, I think there are ways that they can monitor this a little bit more tightly. They can put more attention to it. Um, they can uh, increase the minimum number of targeted users things like that, that creates more accountability behind what's going out there. So you can't just get away with targeting like a hundred people in Podoc, like Kansas with like a, you know, a Russian Trump ad or something. Yeah. Um, so I think there are, I think there's a middle ground. I, I just generally don't think that like banning something or just being fast and loose is like the right answer. There's usually like a middle ground where you can more or less accomplish what you want. It might not be perfect, but it, um, it ends up being better because it erases a lot of the ripple effects from being so staunchly on, on one side or the other. 
I, I agree with you. And last last point on this is uh, if 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 uh, Zuckerberg Zuckerberg's uh, claim always with this is oh, I'm a big free speech guy, uh, and the reason I I don't limit anything is because of free speech. If Zuckerberg really was a as pure with his free speech as he as he says he is, then he uh, then he would just eliminate all advertising because advertising is kind of like the bastardization of free speech and would just have Facebook be a subscription service. So the ultimate uh, public domain. All right. Uh, Last, uh, we have to talk about this because it was like the big news the entire week, the impeachment hearings. So I, I watched a a fair amount of it. um, And we're not going to talk about like the action. We can, but I think it's at this point, like, we both don't like Trump. I think anyone actually watching the impeachment hearings and taking in the information, it's overwhelmingly clear that he did it. And not only he did it, that Pompeo was involved, Pence, everyone kind of knew about it and was embracing. It was just, for them, it was just common practice. The, the thing that I actually left the impeachment hearing was, besides the anger uh, of the congressional Republicans trying to spread conspir- conspiracy theories and derail the entire thing and, and having false outrage, was just how amazingly capable a lot of the people in the State Department are. Like You had people like Fiona Hill, um, George, George, uh, the guy from the first, George Kent, William Taylor, uh, David Holmes these people coming forward and you're like, wow, like, you know, the state the government for all the shit the government gets by everyone, it is full of just amazingly smart, capable people. Uh, and that made me feel good. What made me feel bad is like you have, it just illuminates again, how just horrendous this white house team is. You have people like Fiona Hill who are just remarkably capable, intelligent, worldly, unbelievable experience and then for your senior advisor on on international matters you you pick jared kushner and ivanka trump and stephen miller and that's just unbelievably depressing that was kind of my large takeaway also i loved i don't know if you saw ivanka trump's tweet where she quoted tocqueville i did not (laughs) it was it was as someone who just uh like I, I almost stay up at night by how much I hate her. Um, it was just just peak Ivanka Trump. So Ivanka Trump kind of pulled a Rubio. You know when Rubio gets in like a little bit of hot water, he'll just like cryptically send out like a, a biblical quote. Yeah. Peak Rubio. Yeah. Uh, Ivanka Trump sent out a Tocqueville quote, and this is the Tocqueville quote. A decline of public morals in the United States will probably be marked by the abuse of the power of impeachment as means of crushing political adversaries or ejecting them from office. Alex de Tocqueville, 1835. Big problem is Tocqueville never said that. It's a completely made-up quote, which is like just so peak Ivanka trying to give the appearance of intelligence and classiness. Even if, even if, even if he did say it, like, who cares? Yeah, hundred, yeah, a hundred and eighty years ago. Tocqueville. Like, if Tocqueville knew who Donald Trump was, he might have like thought about that a little bit differently. You know? Yeah. Also, like, um, I don't think the right would have loved the guy from France. That's true. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. What, what was kind of so? The, like, my my big takeaway was uh, I I I really loved how the Democrats ran it. I, I thought Schiff did a fantastic job. Uh, I, I think what was unique about this that I, I came away uh, with besides feeling really good about our, our State Department and feeling just really sad about how I, I just don't know how we're going to be able to get capable people when they get treated like this. And the idea of working in government is, is so criticized. Um, how, how unique, I, I didn't truly understand how unique the Ukrainian aid was. I think we always kind of would generalize it and say, well, Donald Trump extorted the foreign power in order to get 
uh, investigation in order to get political campaign support. Um, but what was unique about Ukraine was the, the, the Russia relationship and how Ukraine has been at war with Russia, needed this, to f- needed this aid to fight Russia, and this meeting with, between pr- Trump and the Ukrainian president was an indicator to Russia and the rest of the world that the United States has Ukraine's back. And I, I, just how dangerous that was. You know, it's not just like mil- it's not just like military aid that is just to pump up the military. It, it's necessary military aid, or, or people die. So that is the gravity of it. Didn't really hit me until that till that hearing. Yep. Um, yeah, I mean, look, I'm not going to lie. I'm going to be totally honest. I don't really follow this stuff, but it's not because <laughs> I don't care. The reason why is because. Ever since Trump was elected, it's been like a reality TV show to watch mm-hmm. that I just don't have time to follow. I just kind of like assume that he's doing something wrong. Yeah. Um, like you ever know, like when you come home from work and, you know, your dog has a guilty look on its face, like, you know, you know, the dog did something it wasn't supposed to do. Yeah. It's like when I turn on, like when I turn on my TV and I see Donald Trump and there's like something like one of his advisors got fired or like there's some scandal with something with the FBI or I hear, you know, uh, uh, you know, all these different, I mean, there's like a million different, you know, names that have been associated with Trump that are in scandal and things like that. I just like assume, you know, I assume that he did something wrong. Like generally where, where there's smoke, there's fire. I yeah. just don't have time to follow it all. Like it's like, it's like, yeah. it's like being committed to watching like 10 seasons of game of Thrones, but like in one week, you mm-hmm. know? Um, yeah. And it, again, it's not like I don't care. And it's not like I'm trying to be irresponsible. It's just like, I don't, I don't have time. I, I feel like there's literally not enough time in the day to keep up with, whatever scandal is around Trump. It's almost like watching the, uh, the NBA a little bit like the NBA used to be a sport, but now it's a reality show. Like there's like, Oh, well like LeBron's going to leave this team to like go to this other team to team up with this player. But like this player has been trying to team up with Paul George and this league. Like, well, I'm sorry. This league. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I uh, yeah. It's just like, I feel like there's not like, it's like more about like, the personas now than the game and that's fine i'm not I'm not like yeah. saying that's bad but i feel like trump's presidency is kind of like the nba like it's not really about being president it's more about this like this like saga of stuff um that's just like swirling around him um that being said like even without following this all too closely it seems fairly obvious to me what should happen like it like again i'm just kind of like a layman in terms of my understanding of all this but just kind of glancing at the facts yeah. Like I, you know, clearly don't just read, like we just established that I actually don't like progressive news sites. Right. So it's not like I'm just like going to CNN.com for my news or something. I, um, I, I want to just hardly hard, like sternly disagree on CNN being a progressive site. Go well, on. yeah, sorry. No, CNN, not progressive, but certainly, you know, Democrat leaning. My point is that I'm not just looking at uh, like left leaning news sources, um, but uh, still have this vibe that, pretty obvious just from like reading about the phone call and what was going on, what he's trying to do, that it's not something that you should do. And I think it's another example of this resolute stubbornness that you see from both sides uh, these days, but largely from conservatives when they defend Donald Trump, it's like they're mincing over words. Um, You know, like I, I was personally pretty offended when this whole thing with Ocasio-Cortez happened with like the concentration camp comparison. And I I don't want to go down that road necessarily, but for me, it was like, wow, we're pulling out the Miriam Webster dictionary to say like on a technicality that she's technically correct about her use of the word when we all know like what it really, you know, connotes, you know, for me, it's like what we're really debating, like this quid pro quo thing, like it doesn't even matter. Like you shouldn't be asking a foreign country to investigate a political opponent, first of all, and second of all, it's obviously a quid pro quo. And it's like, people are just getting so bogged down in these like little technicalities when it's just so obvious to anybody who's watching like what's going on. I, um, I, I guess- want, Sorry, oh, go ahead, I didn't mean to interrupt, sorry. No, the only, the, the, no, that's cool. The, the only other thing I was gonna just finish with is like, what would be really devastating and totally possible in my mind is that he gets impeached and then gets reelected in the next election that they impeach him and then they just reelect him again. Like, I think that can, that can technically happen. Right. 
I actually don't know how that works. It it could. And, like, I mean, I would never underrate that guy's pettiness. And if that happened, would he be able to serve two additional terms since he didn't serve the first one fully? I mean, I don't even know what the rules are. But, like, That's I'm just, like, question. nervous about these, like I – I, if, I, if I'm the Democrats, I'm, like, going back to the – the rule, like the NFL rule book, rule book here to see like, you know, section like 177 point, you know, I dot free, you know, just to see like what the rules are here before I get too carried away. Um, because impeaching him might just make it easier to get him reelected in like the next, you know, like seven months later, you know what I mean? So I, I don't know. I think like the end goal is that we want to get this guy out. Like the, just kind of tactically might want to figure out like what's the best approach here. But anyway, you were going to jump in a moment ago about some Yeah, when, when, you, when you mentioned, like, the both sides thing, like, you, you know, you picked out Ocasio-Cortez for you – know, and I know you don't like her, so she's probably made, like, a bunch of statements you just disagree with. Uh, she is a singular congresswoman, you know, one, one congressperson uh, in, a, in a house full of, like, 500. Like, this is the president of the United States and all the supporters uh, who – which is every registered Republican now in, in. Sorry, but there's no doubt it's worse, right? I, I agree. I just want to I, sure. Yeah, I, I yes. almost feel like it's not comparable. Like, well, but, it's, but, it's, but, the, but in the context of what I was saying, it's not whether it's comparable. It's just that people like you and me, we adopt our position or our team, right? And there's a resolute stubbornness that comes about with that. So like what I saw with Ocasio-Cortez personally was like, people are being stubborn, but well, the definition of this word is technically this. So it's okay. And it's like, come on, like, really? It's like, and, it's, and I see the same thing with Trump and Trump supporters. It's like, come on, like you're, I know you like Trump, but like, look at the facts. Like this is right in front of your eyeballs. Like how can you defend this guy? So it's not about like whether Trump is worse than AOC. Like he definitely is. It's more about just like the general idea that people get entrenched in their camps and they become stubborn. And I think that's, I think that's what we're seeing right now with conservatives. I mean, this should be pretty obvious, like that this is the moment to step up and do something, but none of them have any spine. And the thing with the conservatives right now is it's nothing is based on policy. It's entirely personality driven. Uh, if you're, if you're watching the impeachment hearings, um, what Jim Jordan used to be like a huge outlier in Congress. He was almost like in the Louis Gohmert camp where like, he's just wacky and crazy. Didn't Jim Jordan like allow like allow people to get like raped at Ohio State or something too? Like, I, I wasn't there like a whole thing with him. Like, why is yeah. he even like why is he even like a like a thing? Because if you don't acknowledge wrongdoing and you just deny it, like Trump kind of proved that you can just get away with it. Like the biggest mistake you can make is admitting wrongdoing because that confirms that you did something wrong. If you just deny it, you can always just wrap things up as a left wing smear, which is what Jim Jordan's been doing. Yeah, Jim Jordan was at Ohio State. He was a uh, a wrestling coach. And the doctor for the wrestling team was uh, sexually assaulting a lot of wrestlers. And they said Jim Jordan, a bunch of them have come forward and said Jim Jordan knew and didn't do anything about it. Right. And then in the same week, Jim Jordan gets moved into the most public position for any Republican outside of uh, Trump, you know, to, uh, to sit next to Devin Nunes. And right. What Jim Jordan's really mastered, and you're seeing a lot of the other conservatives in the impeachment hearing master, is if you are able to just emphatically lie without giving any hint that you know you're lying or acknowledge you're lying, you can be a huge star. Uh, and you kind of saw that out of Elise Stefanik, from uh, the congresswoman from northern New York. Like she had her like quote unquote big coming out moment this week because she she would just amplify falsehoods and play the victim card over and over and over again by saying that like Schiff was limiting her time and not allowing her to speak when Schiff was just following the rules and it was Stefanik who was getting out of turn, but people rallied behind her. Um, and what was so, if I was in the state department and I was getting questioned by a guy like Nunes, like Fiona Hill and Nunes, you kind of saw it where she was saying how dangerous what they're doing um, is, you know, which is, you know, not completely acknowledging that Russia interfered with the elections, um, spreading the idea that there's like the Ukrainians actually interfered with the elections and that the, there's a, a server of DNC emails in Ukraine, like how dangerous that is and how it plays into Russia's hands. 
and how it's just completely, utterly false when the State Department confirms it. And then you keep on pushing those theories in order to protect your guy. Man, that's fucking depressing. Yeah, it's pretty bad. Um, no, I agree. I mean, I, I agree with you on this one, I think. So we'll see what happens. I mean, you know, I feel like, I feel like, uh, I feel like, like, like I said before, I feel like Democrats kind of need to figure out like, what's the right, you know, what's the best approach here? Because, you know, and honestly, like for me, is Pence any better? Because Pence is like actually a believer. Like, I mean, we may have talked about this the last time he actually like believes like religion, like pretty intensely. Not, not, not that doesn't make him a bad person, but I just think, I think he'd be more likely to like actually create social harm rather than Trump. Who's just like a insensitive, you know, kind of like crass guy. Like I think Pence would actually take it a step further, even though he seems like a more mild mannered human being, like less egotistical. So I guess it's just like, well, and especially with the election coming up. Right. So it's an interesting spot just to see like what's going to happen here. Um, like, is it actually the right, is it, would it be a good move to impeach Trump? You know, you, you, you would think, duh, like you think that it would be great, but I don't know. Is it really, is it, is it the right time and, and what would happen? I guess there's a lot of factors at, at play. Yeah, I think, uh, I think Pence's uh, religion is probably only matched by his, by his ego and, and uh, desire for power. So I, you know, as you kind of see when him, when he buddied up with Trump, like if he really was a true Christian, I don't think he would have, would have done that. But, right. and he's excused so much behavior that's completely contrary to, to what he believes. Exactly. Um, so he's got a, he's got a very convenient uh, Christianity. So I, I do think he'd be, I do think he'd be dangerous. He, he uh, although he doesn't have the personality of Donald Trump. Um, right. Which would change, which would, change i guess what we what the moral fabric of our country looks like kinda i guess but but in terms of policy it would probably make it worse is i guess what i'm saying yeah and, and then with the impeachment hearings that i mean my big takeaway was the the guy everyone was looking at on the republican party who would maybe come forward um and vote on impeachment is uh, is will hurt Mm-hmm. And Will Hurd came forward, said the behavior was inappropriate, but it's not worthy of uh, impeachment, which is just almost Jeff Flakian in, uh, in its posturing. Right. Yep. And if that information didn't lead you to be terrified, if that information didn't lead you to, uh, to believe someone should be impeached, which I, and I think Schiff made a great point, like, this happened the day after the Mueller testimony <laughs> phone call. Like, and so he, he, he invited one foreign power to get involved in our elections. And then the next day solicited and invited another foreign country to get involved in our elections. Yeah. This is, a, this is another day in the, in the reality show, you know, that's why I can't keep up with this stuff. But, and um, uh, the, cri- I I would sometimes watch because I'm a masochist. I would sometimes watch like the five to uh, to see what their take was, and and because I uh, I just like hate watching it because just Greg Gutfeld and Jesse Waters are just the two much punchable faces in the yeah. TV. Uh, and you know the the big criticism there is it's boring. And I would check some of my relatives who are like hardcore Trumpers, and the consistency and the the singularity of, of one voice, uh, they'll have the same messaging just throughout MAGA Twitter and MAGA Facebook. Uh, and that was the big criticism. What it, it was really boring. It wasn't worth watching. If that doesn't make you feel depressed about politics, then nothing, nothing will. But it wasn't entertaining enough. Yeah. Well, that's what's what it be, that's what it's become is people feel like they need to be entertained by it. I mean, at one point we were, talking about Kanye West running for president a couple of years ago or something. Right. I mean, and I was actually kind of worried about that. It's like, I mean, I hope this isn't the beginning of the end. I know that there's this idea that we need to kind of, you know, politicians have a bad, um, people kind of think about them sometimes as dishonest and, and things like that. But, uh, you know, that's one of the reasons that Trump got himself elected is that he's a, you know, self-described businessman and he's not a Washington DC guy but I hope that doesn't mean that that's the trend is that we need to be entertained. We need to have, um, you know, 
Kanye West or whatever. Of course, I say this as I as I say that I think Oprah would be a great candidate, but um, <laughs> you know, I, I I'm open to I'm open to this being uh, on the table, I guess. But I hope that we still have trusted, experienced leaders in positions of power because that's important. And it's not about being entertained. It's about um, you know, it's about having the right rule of law that's going to be best for everybody. So. I think that's a awesome note to end on. Um, Jeff, it's been a pleasure. I'll see you next. I'll see you in a, a week and a half or two weeks. Oh, fantastic. Looking forward to that. Let's do maybe, it. Maybe we'll do one live. Uh, let, I think the people deserve it. The viewers deserve it. Yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> All right. All right, man. Have a good weekend. All right, you too. Bye.